Consider it déjà vu, if you wish. But for Lee Sklar, hitting the road with Carole King and James Taylor for the 2010 Troubadour reunion tour was a dream turned reality. It all began in 1969, when Taylor and King played the infamous three-day gig at the Troubadour Club in L.A. Backing them were Lee Sklar, Danny Korchmar, and Russ Kunkel. They would soon become known as The Section, and their discographies as the most sought-after session guys of the time were deep. Lee Sklar's career was rocketing, and he was in demand by major artists and producers. Fast forward to September 2010. The 51 City Troubadour reunion tour has played to over 700,000 fans around the world. The secret to the success was simple. Sklar, Kunkel, and Cooch were along for the ride with James and Carol, and the chemistry helped reproduce the intimate vibe of the original Troubadour shows. So we've invited Lee back to debrief us on the rest of the Troubadour reunion tour. And this guy is no stranger to us. Hey, Lee, welcome back to Inside Music Cast. Oh, I've missed you guys so much. <laughs> I'm so happy to be back. And I, and I can't remember anything I said, so I'll probably say it all again. And it'll be fresh. We're uh, going to ask the same questions, right, Rick? Yeah, they, this is the exact same interview as three years ago. Well, the thing is, you know, I, I'm a pathological liar, so I'll come up with new ideas. <laughs> no doubt. Good, 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 good. Well, you know our audience, they'll be uh, astute enough to go back and compare, so be careful. Be careful. Okay, I'll be very careful then. I know you, you have only the cream of the crop <laughs> your, your listening audience. Well, the, you know, the last time we, we did speak to you, which, like I said a moment ago, was, was three years ago, um, which I still can't believe it's been that long. Oh, but, my God, yeah. You know, at that, at that time, I'm just going to go back a little bit. You were still e- immersed in your gig with uh, Toto mm-hmm. and filling in for Mike Percaro uh, back in oh, that yeah. period with Toto. And, um, you know, I just wanted to ask this question, you know, now sort of in retrospect, in hindsight, you know, I just wanted to find out, you know, just now that a couple of years have passed, what was your overall experience like with the band, you know, during that time? Um, it was fabulous. Um, it, it, for me, it was kind of a, a double-edged sword, though. Um, you know, I had, I've known the guys, you know, I've, I've known Paige, and, and I mean, David Hungate's an old friend of mine, and, and, sure. and Jeff certainly was one of my deepest compatriots, and, and Luke. Um, so I was very honored that they, uh, they asked me to, to help them out at that time, but I also uh, was very sad that I was there for the reason I was there, where really it should have been Mike that was out there, but yeah. you know, due to his illness, he couldn't do it, and uh, mm-hmm. that was that was heartbreaking to me. And I and I kind of emphasized that every time anybody interviewed us or anything, they, you know, they would ask me what's it feel like to be the new bass player in Toto, and I would just go, "Hey, I'm not, I'm not the bass player in Toto. I'm a sub right now." Yeah, um, right. I'm here for Mike, and that's it. But Mike's the bass player in Toto. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's just heartbreaking that, that he's going through what he's going through. I mean, yeah. I, I'm grateful that they finally discussed, you know, what what it is that he's really dealing with. Yes, right. It was right. A, a difficult time where people were thinking it was just like, you know, carpal tunnel or a sprained yeah. wrist or something. And it's far deeper and more catastrophic than that. Yeah. Um, well, like you mentioned, and you know, my heart's with that guy and his family every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like you just mentioned, you know, at the at the time, the band was was keeping it pretty tight lipped, and and now the well, it was really up to Mike, right? You know, this this is not the kind of stuff that that anybody should have been discussing yeah. uh, uh, prior to Mike talking about it to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was it was really kind of just you know, kept under under wraps mm-hmm. at that point until he was comfortable enough to, to really come out and talk about what was going on. And, 
Yeah. And he's done it a bit, but my my general feeling with the guys was was fabulous. Yeah. Uh, I mean, God knows they have one of the the most fun songbooks to play, <laughs> and uh, the caliber of musicianship in in every incarnation of this band from the very first you know group with when excuse me when Hungate was playing with them all the way up through the the last tour they just did this past year mm-hmm. or earlier this year you know with having Steve and and uh, and Paige you know doing it and Joe and you know every every lineup this group's ever had it's almost like the name is almost a franchise because right. know, they they never put anything bad out no matter who's in the band yeah well I was you know kind of leads into my next question you know we realized that of course, you were out on the road this past summer with Carol King and James Taylor, and you know also Toto decided to do some festival dates in Europe in support of Mike and and uh, Nathan East filled in on bass for that tour. But I was just curious to know, uh, were you asked to go out on yeah, uh, these yeah, festival Steve dates? Steve called me. Uh, Steve called me and he said, "Look, I." He said he already knew that I wasn't going to be able to do it in, in his mind because mm-hmm. he. He knew what was going on with James and Carol, right, right. and uh, he said, "Look, I know you're probably not going to be able to do this, but I wanted to, to ask you." And uh, and I appreciated that. I mean, and there's nothing I would have loved more than I, if I could have cloned myself and <laughs> and, and done both things because yeah. I, I missed knowing that the guys were out. And when we played in Tokyo uh, with uh, on the tour with Toto and uh, when Boz was there. Uh-huh. Um, and Paige came and played on that, and Joe Williams was there. I got a little taste of how much fun that would have been. Yep. So, yeah, I would love to have done it with them. But, you know, there's just uh, most people are depressed enough that there's one of me. But if there had been two of me, they'd really <laughs> be bugged. So I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Yeah. Uh, but I appreciated them asking. That was, it was Absolutely. Really well, everybody knows, and uh, our audience knows um, quite well that you've been on tour uh, with James and, and Carol on the Troubadour tour. And uh, just before the interview, I asked you basically uh, um, how long from the very beginning to the end did it actually, uh, I mean, did it take you away from home and, and away from, uh, you know, just, just to work on, on the tour? And you tell, tell me what, tell our audience what, what you told me because it's pretty well, amazing. I think it was about five months. Yeah. Um, from rehearsals through the last gig. And uh, I'll tell you, I've, I've never been so sad as to play a last gig on a tour with this tour. <laughs> um, I mean, we would all be out there right now if, if we could. Yeah. Um, they had a finite uh, cutoff date for the tour, and, and they stuck to it. But God knows it was... A, there was I mean, it, it ended up being... I think it's... It's in the top three top-grossing success tours of this year, and it may even be at the very top. Um, it was just mind-blowing, the, the demand for tickets on this tour and the enthusiasm that the audience brought to it. Um, yeah. It was, yeah. It was deep. Uh, for everybody concerned, audience and band. Right. Well, looking at the at, at just the numbers alone, I mean, you played fifty seven dates. I mean, that that's amazing. Australia, New Zealand, Japan, U.S. Um, fifty seven. That that's a that's a heck of a lot of shows. Well, it, it's a lot of shows, and a lot of it was uh, logistically it was difficult because the yeah. stage was incredibly complicated to to build. 
Um, and, and it's always it was surprising because you kind of think of you know James Taylor, Carol King, you think of these kind of just you know like folk acts almost, and uh, and literally we could have put all the band gear in a U-Haul truck, but we had fourteen semis of stage. Jeez, and uh, it was a massive production yet. It was very intimate. I mean, we were in, you know, playing multiple nights in like Madison Square Garden, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and yet it felt like we were in a club. The way they, the way they designed the stage, which a great deal of it was James's idea. Yeah, yeah. I remember he talked to me about it when uh, he he was talking to the designers about what they wanted. Right. And, uh, and we did a complete in the round um, concert where the, uh, the was a large revolving stage in the center of the arenas and uh, in so it turned for the entire show so everybody got a view of, of of the band yeah and then above it was eight huge high def video screens um, so even the people up in the nosebleed section got really good pictures of everybody plus archival footage was was uh, projected. Yeah, I think we had eleven cameras in the show, Amazing. and a video director, and a whole you know the whole area set up for that. But the thing that made it absolutely uh, interesting was there were three wings coming off of the stage uh, on, at ground level mm-hmm. that were um, separated from the general audience, and they were set up like a nightclub, where each one of them had I, I forget like uh, twenty maybe. Um, small tables and two chairs for each one with a little lamp on it, and they could drink <laughs> drinks in and stuff. And it felt like a nightclub, looking yeah. down at, at those seats every night. And they were they were uh, expensive seats. I think they were like a grand or 1500 bucks a seat yeah. for those. But every penny, 100% of it all went to charity. Yeah, that's great. That's and, and so I think they raised over $2 million on the tour. That <laughs> Holy went to wow. Some very specific charities that they were supporting for the tour. Wow. Yeah. And, and along with the people buying the ticket, they got to come to Soundcheck and see our Soundcheck, have dinner, and then the band would go meet them all, and we would sign all their programs and yeah, hang out that. with them. So it wasn't kind of like, oh, here you get a laminate and a T-shirt, and that's it. Yeah, we yeah. wow. actually got to meet the band and James and Carol, and and get pictures taken and stuff. So they they were they were embraced. Yeah, that's considering that's, that's, you know what they were contributing to it. It was a very give and take uh, situation. Yeah. You know, uh, on to your point uh, on James on James's uh, website, he actually has a whole series of videos, and I think uh, you know they they actually he and and Carol talk about the concept uh, of the stage and how I guess uh, your sound or your uh, set designer, his name is Roy Bennett, and he describes yeah. a lot of the things that you're precisely mentioning right now. That this was such an interesting concept. That uh, I mean, if somebody wants to know more, just go to James. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Taylor's, right? Go to the go to James's site and, yeah. and check it all out. But it was uh, it was one of those things at first you kind of wonder because these are the kind of acts that normally would play far more intimate venues, mm-hmm. and so to suddenly find yourself playing, you know, you know, fifteen to twenty thousand seat arenas a night mm-hmm. um, could have easily have lost this music, but it actually. Um, I, kn- I had not one person come up to me after any gig that, that said they couldn't see or hear perfectly. Right. Um, and that was really important because, uh, 
it's it's one thing if you're you know out there doing like a Kiss concert or you know some massive production like that. Sure. But this was very. Um, this was really sucking the audience in rather than hitting them with a lot. This was embracing them. Mm. And uh, yeah. we loved it. And, and the minute we walked on that stage at the, for the first rehearsal with it, we all just kind of went, oh, man, this is very <laughs> cool. <laughs> that is neat. Where at first we were, you know, wondering whether this would, whether or not the production would overshadow the music. Oh, uh, I see, yeah. yeah. And uh, that was our only real concern was, yeah. is this too over the top uh-huh. for the kind of music that we're doing, yeah. but it actually really enhanced it. Wow. And the intimacy we felt on stage together was, was really fabulous. Yeah. Um, so I, I loved it. And, uh, and we're hopeful that maybe, you know, I mean, a, a bunch of the European promoters came over to see the show, and they're chomping at the bit for, for this to come to Europe. So <laughs> wow. there's a possibility, you know, it hasn't been discussed at all amongst any of us. Yeah. So whether or not the management people are are talking about it and maybe coming up with a game plan, I mm-hmm. don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, we, we I, a... If they said they wanted to do it, I would be there in a nano. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a pretty large uh, fan base that listen to Inside Music Cast in Europe, so I'm sure that they're kind of excited oh, yeah. to hear well, that. I'll tell you, them every day on Facebook, I, I was getting. Um, uh, People saying, "When are you coming to Europe? When are you coming? When are you coming right, to South yeah, America? Yeah. When are you, you know, I mean, right. you know, these are these are international artists who've been around for a long time, and people yeah. really wanted to see them." Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Eddie and I were looking at some numbers from the show, from the tour uh, this past summer, and. The number of people who sh- you know saw the the shows is is pretty staggering, like over close to seven hundred thousand people. Yeah. It's just <laughs> it's, it's mind-boggling. At the Hollywood Bowl, I think we set the record for the most tickets sold for really um, a con- for concerts because they sold out three nights there oh, immediately, and hardly anybody does multiple nights at that place. Wow, that's yeah. amazing! Yeah. You know, it I was, just... was uh, it was pretty amazing, and and then it was beyond that. It was just so um, so amazing to stand on stage and look around and see the same lineup of people we that we started with 40 years ago. Yeah, right. <laughs> Still yeah. in the original keys. Jeez. Really yeah. amazing. Yeah. Because um, so many artists at this point, when they've entered their 60s and Carol 68, um, they've lowered the uh, the keys down considerably to accommodate it right, and, uh, right. and they didn't they're still as strong as ever <laughs> mind-blowing that's, that's cool and carol's like the energizer bunny <laughs> <laughs> well this you know this this tour i'm sure was like a, a family reunion of sorts i mean not only were you out on the on the, on the road with uh, carol and james but you know you were reunited with your old pals danny Kortchmar and russ kunkel yeah, I mean, Russ and I work together pretty regularly. I mean, we've been doing Lyle Lovett together for mm-hmm. a long time. Yeah, right. We do a lot of recording, but Cooch moved back east yep. uh, a number of years ago, so the opportunities to, uh, to to hang out with him and play with him have been far more limited. And, uh, you know, I, I just... I, I, I've never forgotten how much I dig him, but, boy, <laughs> it certainly... Uh, Shoved it back to the front of the of the table with yeah. me, you know. As soon as he started playing, and we started hanging out, and I thought, Jesus, this guy was such a huge part of my life for so <laughs> yeah. long. It's yeah. great to be back with him. Well, you know, when I knew and you, and then guys... having his daughter out there with us was really fabulous because yeah. I had my adventures with Stella every day. You know? <laughs> and I posted all that on on my Facebook. <laughs> right. And, 
Well, I just, when I knew you guys were going to go out, I just got the feeling that, you know, outside of, you know, potentially some varying arrangements on some of the songs, you're, I'm sure your first rehearsal, your very first rehearsal with these guys was like riding a bicycle. I just, <laughs> I mean, it just, is that right? Or There was an element of that <laughs> yeah. that was there, That that's for sure. I mean, it, it was kind of interesting when they, they sent out the list of songs to start learning between the two of them. I mean, it had to be like 70 songs that we were going to, you know, kind of pick and choose from. And uh, as soon as we started playing, I mean, I never thought, I, I kind of thought that was all part of my past, and I didn't think I was going to be learning this songbook again. And all yeah. of a sudden, you know, you're, you're digging deep and <laughs> pulling up the old arrangements <laughs> and stuff. And after, uh, after a little while, it all started falling into place. And yeah. Yeah. we would all just kind of sit there and grin at each other and go, this is so... You know, I would tell people on the road when we would meet, like, with the meet-and-greets and things, I said, there's that old adage that you can never go back. And we actually really got to. That's cool. And it was great. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's like, you know, you're a little kid, and then later on you drive by the house you grew up in. <laughs> <Yeah>. Right, <laughs> exactly. So much bigger. Yeah. Your memories of things change. Well, the, yep. the memories here really were intact. We, uh... You know, we immediately fell into stories and, and experiences that we'd had, you know, 40 years ago, and uh, it was uh, very comfortable. Yeah. It was like like digging into the to the closet and finding that old funky pair of slippers, and you put them on, and you just get that look on your face. Oh, man, these are good. Either that or those platform shoes that you once showed me at your home well, one time. I still got those, too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I, I don't know if my insurance carrier would be thrilled to see me walking around in those, but uh, his liability was yeah. a six-inch platform. <laughs> what was that monster vibe there? Well, on the night of your uh, your show in Tampa. You and I had a chat online. I think it was on Facebook, and uh, we chatted for a little bit. It was pretty late, and you were, I think, at that time, you were sort of fretting the eighteen-hour bus ride to the <laughs> East Coast from Tampa. But, <laughs> but you were in great spirits because you know you were telling me that you felt like that evening show in Tampa was like the best of the tour to that point. And I was just curious. I was just thinking about that, and give me an idea about what, in your mind, makes you know makes for that makes makes a show just click. Yeah, it, it's one of those things that really, um, it, it's intangible. Right. Um, I would say uh, uh, during the course of the tour, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, our worst show was probably an 8. Yeah. <laughs> and, and our best would have been a 10. Yeah. Um, they were, it was so consistent and so strong, but just some nights maybe just the sound and the vibe of the audience and everything just sort of just locks in perfectly. Everybody's in just the, the perfect headspace, but uh, it never felt like there was a weak show yeah. at all from from the first show on. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, it's really hard to understand in in my mind yeah. what it is that 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 elevates one show above the next. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, the drives suck. <laughs> that part of it, it's but at least brutal. you're at least you're driving with some uh, very good family members there, right? <laughs> oh, that makes it even worse. <laughs> <laughs> you want to maintain the... your friendships. You don't want to have the the bus ride. Yeah, but on this these particular bus rides, you didn't have Luke on the bus with you, so. <laughs> Well, you know, that's pretty high entertainment level that's, right there. That's true. <laughs> I mean, right now I think it would probably be fairly boring with Luke. You know, I'm, I'm so happy that he isn't, has not been drinking or doing anything. 
um, for quite a while now. I mean, I yeah, guess probably yeah. a good going on a year. Yeah, he look, he's looking good. <laughs> but uh, some of the most entertaining aspects <laughs> of Luke were on the raving night. So, <laughs> you know, you get mixed feelings. That's true. To be healthy or boring. <laughs> hey, Lee, you know all the, the, the crowds that were there at the, at the show. Let me talk about that just for a second because there's a real emotional tug and uh, affinity and uh, you know, those that were raised with the music that you played uh, on this tour. And I bet you you were so close to people that you could see that certain certain songs just pushing their emotional buttons. And oh, absolutely. You, you probably saw every kind of emotion just from the people around you, right? Oh, I mean, people were all, you could see them singing. You could see, you know, them singing every song. Yeah. Um, you could see people grinning. You could see people crying. Mm -hmm. um, because that really is, that music is really the fabric of a generation. Yes. And, 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 and there was a lot of, you know, people, you know, pretty much our age, which I would, you know, in the, from 60s, kind of, you know, 50s to late 60s, right. was the major bulk of the audience. Right. But there was still, like, a lot of, you know, younger audience there, maybe I would say in their 20s. Um, but you would realize that there were people out there that experienced marriages and births and deaths and um, really profound um, times in their lives were represented by these songs. Right. And uh, it, it, we were certainly close enough to see a, a major bulk of them and, uh, and, and, and be able to read the responses on their faces. And uh, it, was, it was heavy. I mean, it was one of those things you... When you're experiencing it, you really don't take it lightly at all. Cause yeah, it's, right. It's pretty exceptional. Mm -hmm. Well, I just I just hope for for my sake that this tour happens again here in the states because, uh, um, and it's it's very for very selfish reasons. It's the fact that I didn't get to go to any of the shows. Yeah, it's <laughs> a must see. Are, can you guys come over to my house and Please. just do one for me? Oh, sure. <laughs> well, I'm sure along the way they recorded definitely, uh, you know, footage for a DVD. I'm, I hope so with well, so many cameras around. The thing that was great was they they filmed and recorded every night of the tour. Oh wow! And I think it's all sitting in in editing studios right now, and it'll probably okay. be released next year. Yeah. Wow. And. Uh, but I mean, we had really excellent camera coverage and uh, and recording equipment out there. So good, you know, sure. whatever whatever comes out of this thing is going to be, I think, really good and really representative of of the of the show. Yeah, and right. it, it's worth seeing. I mean, beyond not only the music and stuff, but to see the production because it really was quite exquisite visually to look at this show. Right. Do you happen to know the amount of investment on this on the sets at all? Any idea, Lee? Not a clue. No. Okay. No. Uh, I think uh, the I think the actual rotating stage. Somebody said I think that it that I think maybe Metallica owns it. They might really? have used it, had it built for one of their tours. Oh, that's God. what I heard from somebody. Um, the uh, the nightclub vibe I think was built for this tour. Yeah, I I've never seen anybody do that before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then the huge centerpiece that had all the video screens and all of the LED um, stuff. Right. That um, I'm I'm not sure if that was built specifically for this tour or if right. that was all parted out from other stuff. But sure. well, you it's it's strange how these tours work. When we toured with Phil Collins in 1990. Um, we we had a big round stage that was done to look like an old carousel, mm -hmm. 
And I've worked for many years with a Japanese artist named Yuming Matsutoya, and Yuming's husband, Manta, produces um, her stuff. And uh, we were talking one day, and he said, oh, I bought that stage. It's sitting in a warehouse. We're going to use it one of these days. Yeah. So this stuff kind of gets parted out and moved around, so yeah. it, it, I'm not really sure if some of the stuff was rented and you know for the duration of the tour or what they owned, and if, if so, did they sell it off or lease it out after the tour? Yeah. But, uh, it, was, it looked simple from an audience standpoint, but, but I went one day and watched the crew put it up, and man, it was, a, it was a ball buster, and I think there was about 75 or 80 in the crew. Interesting. No, I was asking because, you know, you talked about just the the intim- intimacy uh, design aspect of bringing people closer. But did that, um, I mean, you know, sometimes when you see a show in the round, sometimes the sound is sort of sacrificed or anything. I mean, was there was there a sacrifice of the of the sonic quality just for the sake no. of uh, the thing or not really? Nope, not no. at all. It wow. was, was fantastic. Um, David Morgan was the house mixer, and Dave's a really, really fine mixer. Um, and and the way they had the, the speakers hanging from this big centerpiece, they were dispersed all over um, the arenas. It, it, the, the shot, I don't think anybody had a bad sound. I don't know if there was any traps or anything. And then the people who were sitting down below, there were speakers going around the perimeter of the, uh, of the in the round, so they were all getting a good thing. And the great thing was the fact that the stage turned for the entire show, mm-hmm. so that um, you know some people would show up to the gigs and be almost like bummed because they would see where their seat was, and they could see that the piano and the guitar were across the other side of the stage. And then you could see it on their faces the minute we went out and hit the stage and it started turning because then they would realize that everybody was going to get a view of... Um, I mean, who cares about seeing James and Carol, but they got to see, you know, me and Russ and Cooch's butts. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's nothing more inspiring than seeing rhythm section butts. <laughs> well, just looking back on the last five years, you know, you, you seem to tour quite a bit or have been touring quite a bit. Yeah. And, you know, from Toto to James and Carol and, and most recently with Lyle Lovett. And just have a simple question. Do you still enjoy touring? Absolutely. Yeah. I've I've been on the road I've been on the road every year for forty one years. My God. It's amazing. Um, and I never get sick of it. You know, I you get sick of some of the, the tedium of it. Like um right. we've had like on Lyle's uh tours, we had one drive that was from Tom Ball, Texas to Grand Rapids, Michigan. Oh no. That gets hard. Um, yeah. you know, so, so the actual logistics of traveling, and especially nowadays with all the crap that goes on with air travel and how miserable that's become right. compared to what it once was, yep. all that, that part of it I really don't love. But I love the, the immediacy of live performance, and that I would never give up. I mean, if somebody said to me, you have to make a choice. You can either be a, a recording musician for the rest of your life or a touring musician. To me, there's absolutely no contest. I would be a touring musician. Wow, that's neat. I, I love it. We still have more Lyle to go. We've got a, a yeah. run. Uh, I think we start around November 3rd or 4th, and okay. we go through, uh, we come home on Thanksgiving. Yeah. And we're doing Texas and New Orleans and Florida and I think South Carolina. 
and I think we're doing Austin City Limits also. Wow, that's cool. Well, you, you did a perfect... And that gets me up with Russ again, which is great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a perfect segue because I was about to ask ask you about that if you were going back out on this November leg of the tr- tour. And I'm just, you know, about Lyle Levin in general, I just, I just wanted to ask you about your experiences with working with Lyle. I mean, I, I get I get the feeling that, you know, despite his his sort of country gentleman persona, that he's he's really a, a perfectionist at heart and he and surrounds, you know, obviously he surrounds himself with, with incredible talent. Yeah, I give, first off, I give him so much credit because in a time when everybody's trying to economize and cut back, mm-hmm. that this guy still has the balls to put together 15 musicians right. and take him on the road. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, where he could just go out with two or three guys, and but he loves having the large band. I mean, yes. he still goes out and does like these things with Guy Clark, and they do these singer-songwriter um, little tours. But he loves this. He loves touring with the large band. Yeah. And uh, and God knows it's one of the scariest bands I've ever played with in terms of quality <laughs> musicianship. Yeah, these yeah. guys are just staggering. And well, who's who's out with Lyle in this next leg? Is Russ Russ going to be with you, right? Yes. Yeah, it, it'll be me and Russ and Jim Cox playing keyboard. Right. Um, John Hagen on cello. cello yeah. Um, James Gilmer plays percussion. Right. Um, uh, Keith Sewell um, plays guitar and mandolin, and, and uh, Luke Bullard on, on fiddle. Um, Is Francine out with him again? Uh, no, Francine's been doing a show up in um, uh, Seattle. Mm-hmm. I think it's in Seattle where it's it's a show where she can just kind of only does a few songs in it uh, every night, but gets to actually be stationary. I think Arnold will probably be out with us, McCuller. Oh, really? Okay. And then Sweet Pea and Harry uh, yeah. and uh, Willie Green. Yeah. Um, Mitch Watkins is, is playing guitar. Uh, Buck Reed will be on steel. I mean, it's a big-ass bunch of characters. <laughs> uh, Roy Herndon will be on guitar. Mm. Um, so I think with Lyle, I can't remember if it's 15 or 16 guys. Yeah. Um, I was impressive, though. it's a though. fun show to play. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we go all the way from, like, just a little four-piece uh, bluegrass all the way to just, you know, like that, that full-tilt Texas swing. Yeah, it's uh, It's... It's great. I, I love it. I mean, I've worked with Lyle. I did his. Uh, I've done uh, four of his albums, I think, four or five of them. Yeah. And uh, I started with him on the large band, first large band album. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Uh, he's one of guys. You know, I just sit there and uh, his his musician his quality of his musicianship is is really amazing. Yeah. He as a guitarist is a great guitar player. He's got a very unique style, in the same way James has a such an amazing style as a guitarist. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's it's a treat, you know. I feel really fortunate to be able to do these kind of people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it's a, it's a great adventure every day with them. I have a couple of memories from from a couple of his shows. Uh, one in particular was the night he married, uh, or the day he married Julia Roberts, and that was here, just about an hour north of where we are. And uh, came to the sh- I went to the show that night. Had absolutely no idea he, you know, got married that day. But we were sitting. We had bads. We were way back in the lawn, so we had kind of a distance to the stage. And this woman walks out in a white wedding dress and says, introduces the band, ladies and gentlemen, my husband and his large band. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> she walks off stage, and all the people down in front are just going berserk, you know. And and you know, several times during the show, he's referencing this Julia, Julia, and it's like, who, Julia, who? Who's he? What's he talking about? <laughs> and then finally, at the end of the show, he said, uh, he he goes, I was going to do one more encore song, but he goes, but he said, you guys got to understand, this is my wedding night. I've got business to do. <laughs> He said that. <laughs> That's what he said. He got our business to take care of. And then it wasn't until the next day that I saw a write-up in the paper that I realized that it was Julia Roberts. <laughs> That's, That's so funny. I mean, there was there was a joke going around in Nashville. They were going, can you imagine, like, Lyle and Julia? I mean, God, he could have had anyone. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like it. I like it. You know, I mean, and he's been going uh, for for a long time now, ever since the end of that, with um, his girlfriend's name's April Kimball, and she helps with publicity and all that, takes care of some of the business on the tour, Mm -hmm. and she's absolutely delightful. They they make a great couple. (laughs) Just had one other question about, uh, you know, during our our last interview, we chatted briefly about another band that you're associated with, the the Barefoot Servants, and uh, they're gone? Over. I I wondered what was happening with them. Yeah, I, it breaks my heart that nothing really came of it. Yeah. But, um, Butcher moved from L.A. back to Boston, which was his home base. Uh-huh. Oh, wow. And he's living there now. And uh, I haven't talked to Ben in a while. I don't know what he's up to right now. But it was one of those things that, you know, the, the music was so much fun to play, and, and the hang was great. But just it never took, it never got off the ground. It had a small cult following. And, you know, I get people every once in a while that come up to me and they say, you know, you guys going to do any more records? And, uh, you know, I appreciate that there's that, that interest. In the same way, there's still interest in the section doing another oh, yeah. record. Yep. Um, but uh, I, don't, I don't really see this, this, any of it happening. But yeah. Barefoot Servants is, uh, is a, a piece of history. So anybody that managed to latch on to any of the recordings, hold on to them. Absolutely. There ain't going to be more. <laughs> you know, we've been uh, sort of, uh, as we speak, we've been receiving some some questions online uh, through Facebook, Lee, and uh, oh, cool. s- some from our listeners. And, and I've got, I want to ask one uh, from Elinda Ewan. She's from Norway. She's a listener. And she, this is I sort know of, Linda very well. Yeah. Well, Linda's asking, basically, it's a Toto question. She says, ask him about singing back up for Toto in Iceland when Tony was away. Does that ring a bell? Uh, <laughs> Does yeah. that even ring a bell or not? That's so. <laughs> okay, if you want to answer it's the magic of lip syncing, <laughs> I just, uh, I, 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 they gave me a mic and I kind of bullshitted my way through it, but uh, they were kind of covering for it. Because, okay, all right. Um, Tony had something that that he had to leave and he missed that gig, and uh, and so I went out there and, and kind of faked it. <laughs> um, and then the other guys covered for it a little bit. So, uh, but tell Linda that that it's much appreciated that that she has just the right amount of salt to pour into an open wound. <laughs> D friend, no, just she, kidding. <laughs> she is a hoot, man. Linda is one of the coolest people. That's neat. <laughs> yeah, she was always a great hang out there on the Toto Tour when she'd show up. We really we had the best time in Iceland. It was really great. Yeah. yeah. And then another question comes from uh, uh, an IMC listener, Eileen uh, Dowdell, or Dowdell. I, I, I'm mm-hmm. sorry, Eileen, I probably butchered your name. But, but she says, hey, Lee, hey Lee, you've played with a lot of great people. Is there anyone uh, you would like to play with that you haven't already? Yeah. Um, 
God, let me think. The Beatles? You know, I, that's one of the things I feel <laughs> so kind of blessed is, is I've really gotten to work with, like, most of the people I've always done. You know, I've never really had a chance to play with Clapton. Yeah. I'd love to play with him. Yeah, that's, but, cool. Uh, that's cool. I don't know if that'll ever happen or not, but the only time we ever actually played was when we did the I Wish It Would Rain video with Phil Collins, and we did it as kind of like an old 30s uh-huh. thing, and they and when they were filming it, they had a bunch of dancers. It was like an old chorus line, and they said, can you guys play something for them to dance to while we're filming them? And we played Sunshine of Your Love, <laughs> as kind of like an old 30s thing. I was playing upright bass, and he was playing acoustic guitar, and, and I think... Uh, Chester was playing brushes, and Lamont Dozier was playing piano, and uh, it was one of these kind of just goofy things, and when it was all through, I remember looking at Eric going, I've wanted to play this song with you my entire life, and look how we end up doing it. <laughs> it was kind of, kind of silly, but I love, I love Eric. I've, I've done some stuff kind of almost with Elton. I've been you know, an Elton fan forever, and yeah. he's another guy I would love to actually get a chance to play with but most of these guys you know they have pretty contained groups and uh, uh, I, remember, I remember at one point um, Bob Birch who plays with Elton plays bass with Elton um, was was severely injured in an accident I think a truck hit him or something up in Canada mm-hmm. and they were on the road and they called me uh, and asked if I could fill in for him but I was working with Veronique Sanson I was over in France on tour, so I couldn't do it, but that mm. was about as close as I've gotten. <laughs> and thank God Bob uh, recovered from this pretty heinous experience, and he's still out with him. So Cool. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you never know. I mean, that's kind of the thing is you, keep, you hang in long enough, and eventually, you know, things pop up. Yeah. Well, I have one more question, and it's from Louise, Louise Boys uh, from the UK. And she basically uh, is asking a question about your, your, your listening habits. She says, is it hard when you're involved in so much production of music to completely lose yourself in an, uh, in an album to a listener? And the second part is, can you disconnect and just enjoy music sometimes and lay back and, and enjoy that, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, one thing I am is I'm like a, I'm a fan so I, I can sit and listen to music very objectively. I ha- actually have more trouble going to a concert than I have just listening to music. Because yeah. a lot of times you go to a concert and you're sitting there so aware of sound and production and all that that people that are there that are kind of ignorant of that are having a much better time because you're sitting there going, oh, the mix sucks and there's too much bottom or kick drum. Exactly, and, right. You know, that lighting looks like crap and yeah. you know, the pacing isn't what you would like. But in terms of just listening to music, I kind of listen to everything. I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty eclectic in, in my listening habits. I listen to a lot of classical, mm-hmm. um, but I, I'm a, still a, a diehard, you know, Beatles fan. I, I listen to, still listen to like a lot of uh, Jeff Beck and Jimi Hendrix. I listen to jazz, um, and, and, and I love country and polka. You know, to me, if anything's done credibly and well, I'm mm-hmm. good with it. That's neat. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm, I don't mind that, but I, I don't listen all the time. I mean, I, I'm around it so much that a lot of times when I'm, like, out doing yard work, I, I take a radio out, and I tend to listen to talk radio just to 
keep my venom level high and angry and make me pull weeds better yeah. when I'm pissed off. <laughs> yeah. There's so much ignorance and stupidity out there right now that you know, just drives me crazy. Right. And then we had one I'm more. Perfect. You know, I mean, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> And then we had one more question from uh, sure. a guy named Scott Davis, and he said, ask Lee about the producer switch. <laughs> oh, that's one, another one of those laughs. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, what it is, is years ago, I mean, you would end up, I mean, there's times when I'm, I'm sitting in a studio with, like, a monstrously gifted producer um, who just has it, and, and, you, and you absolutely respect everything that they um, talk about, but there's other times where the producer is like somebody at the record label's brother-in-law who got this <laughs> pity gig and he's producing a record, and they would ask you for all this really stupid crap, like, can you can you make it shimmer? Can you can it be more mauve? Um, just real nebulous nonsense. Right. Shimmer, and you don't know what they're even talking right. about. So what I ended up doing is on one of my bases. Um, I just drilled a hole in it and put a, a toggle switch in, in the hole. And uh, it, did, it had no wires, didn't go to anything. But when I would have to deal with guys like this, if they asked me for stuff, I would make sure they were watching me, and, and I would flip the switch, and I'd go, how's that? And they'd go, oh, it's much better. Yep. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> yep. It was kind of a placebo. Yeah, yeah. Tommy Tedesco, basically, who was one of the greatest guitar players who's ever you know, existed. Um, I, we were doing a, um, a TV show, I think Knight Rider or some show like that, over at Universal Studios. And um, they had these baffles set up where you couldn't really see anything except the top half of the, everybody's faces. And uh, I remember the guy who was conducting at that point asked Tommy for... Um, he, he didn't know what he wanted to hear Tommy playing on it. So... He kept asking for different instruments, and I'm sitting next to Tommy, and the guy would say, could I hear mandolin? So Tommy would bend over and pick up the mandolin and play it, and the guy would go, no, I don't know. Let me, uh, do you have a acoustic guitar? Do you have a bazooki? Do you have, you know, went through like a half a dozen instruments until he finally heard what he wanted. Yeah. And at this point, I'm crying because <laughs> all Tommy's doing is bending over. All he had with him was his, his acoustic guitar. <laughs> <laughs> he would bend over like he was picking something up and then sit up, and the guy couldn't see. And he, But he was so good that he would play it in different positions, and it would sound different until the guy finally heard what he wanted. And I just I remember sitting there looking at him, and I went, you know, all through junior high school, high school, college, I was a music major, and I said, I just learned more in five minutes how the music business works yeah. than I did in all those years. Exactly. <laughs> Oh that's my kind God. of how the producer switch worked, too. You have to make sure they're seeing you do it. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's right. If they see, I mean, odds are uh, I would be faked out, too. You know, it's like guys <laughs> that sit there and they talk about things sounding good because it's on a scope. I don't know what that really means. You know, I mean, to me, it's my ears. It's not like right, looking right. at something that's telling you it's okay. Exactly. Well, hey, Lee, um, uh, just curious. I, we know you're going out with Lyle here really soon, but uh, looking ahead to, like, 2011, wh wh what what kinds of things do you have coming up? Any projects? Are you working on any albums? Uh, wh what's going um, on? No, at this point, nothing's really getting booked that far in advance. Um, so right now, 2011 is completely open. Cool. 
Um, you never know. We might be back up with with James and Carol again. That, yeah. that may be, you know, more Lyle uh, to do and some other projects. Yeah. Um, I've done a lot of projects with with artists overseas, which has been really nice. We did an album with this uh, a Swedish artist named Pai Bachman, uh-huh. um, and I just spoke with her producer today. I think we're going to do another track for her album. It's like a bonus single. Um, she's great. Um, uh, I just, when we finished up doing some gigs last year, I guess it was, I, I went in with Simon Phillips to his studio with an Italian guitarist uh, named Chiro Mana, and we did this, we cut his album as a trio, and this guy's kind of like a rock fusion guitar player, and it was, it's killer. I'm dying to hear how it turns out. And then um, I did an album with a, a uh, Swiss artist named um, uh, he calls himself Step, um, but I think it's Stefan Dindella. I think is his last name, uh-huh. and this guy's very cool. It's it's kind of like um, he he's guitarist um, singer, but the the stuff is is like rock funk. Um, it, it, uh, some of the songs were kind of like somewhere between Chili Peppers and Jamiroquai. Wow. Kind of vibe, and it was huh. me and Jim Cox and Abe Laboreal Jr. and Step did the tracks. Interesting. I'm and, curious. Uh, so there's all kinds of you know like fun projects uh, going on that uh, I really enjoy. I've been doing a lot of Latin, uh, Mexican projects um, that that have been really really fun that are doing really well in Mexico. Yeah. Um, there's an artist named Mihari. And I've done a few albums with him now, and the last one we did was like the number one record in Mexico. Nice. And, uh, just finished one with an, another artist, a female artist named Yuri, out of Mexico. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, it's, you know, you never know. Just keep hustling. And uh, when I'm not doing that, I'll work on the hot rod and work on the yard and play with the dogs. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> well, well, enjoy this time and resting up a little bit because it's been busy for you. So, uh Let's it's keep been in touch. A great year. I've had, I've had a ball. And it's like musically, it's one of the most gratifying uh, years I've had uh, ever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel pretty blessed for that. Yes, sir. Thank you. Well, Lee, thanks for, for letting us catch up with you. It's been a few years. And, and, uh, Anytime. Eddie, Eddie and I have been talking about getting you back on the show, so this, is, this has been nice. And, yeah, uh, absolutely. We want to stay in touch, obviously, and, and uh, we'll, we'll keep track on you uh, later on. And maybe well, I'm going to keep track of you guys, too, because you're doing a fabulous job, and I love all of the, uh, the, the, the interviews you've been doing. It's, to me, it's fascinating because so many of these guys I, I've, I've known – Musically, but I don't really know them, you know, from the standpoint of you know when they talk about what they're doing and yeah. what they've done and mm-hmm. their lives. So it's it's really you know nice on having a show like Inside Music Cast, sure. to, be able to kind of just suss all these guys out and, and you know get a little more insight into them. Absolutely. Well, yeah. we've had the joy of uh, interviewing you, Russ, and also Danny. Yeah, uh, on the show. So we just have next uh, week. We got to get James and Carol. <laughs> Well, we'll see what we can arrange. <laughs> all right. Hey, thanks a lot, Lee, okay? Okay, you guys. You take good care and all my best wishes. All right. Talk all right. to you later. Bye-bye. Special thanks to Lee Sklar for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. Also, very special thanks to Inside Music Cast correspondents Scott Gross, Brian Pearson, Kim Riley, Max Zape, and Uwe Reith. And please visit our website at InsideMusicCast.com where you can catch up on all of our past interviews, read the Inside Opinion blog, and check out additional bonus content. 
Inside Music Cast is also on Facebook, where you can become a fan and join in on music conversation with Inside Music Cast fans from around the world. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast. Inside Music Cast.